Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd, an immigrant, and host of this amazing podcast. On every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cover trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we are back with the details behind the breaking news headlines on Canada's aggressive new approach to attracting highly skilled workers, some of them from right here in the United States. On Tuesday, June 27th, the IRCC, that's Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, announced an opportunistic new program that seeks to woo US H-1B visa holders out of the United States. Coming up in just a few minutes, the latest information and analysis on Canada's new immigration streams and what they might mean for you and your employees. But first, we start with a roundup of the other immigration news that we should all be aware of. And back with us today in the role of news nerd-in-chief is Ericsson Immigration Group partner, Alejandra Zapatero. Hi, Alex. Hey, Lauren. Alex, among other things in the immigration news feed, we have a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in the case of United States versus Hansen. What was this case about and what are the practical implications to this decision? Sure. So the case concerned a First Amendment challenge to U.S. immigration law outlawing the inducement of illegal immigration for personal financial gain and the court's ruling in 2019. So in reality, the background of the case is this person, Helen Hansen, was convicted of violating U.S. immigration law for inducing and encouraging folks to illegally enter the U.S. From 2012 to 2016, he promised a knowingly false path to citizenship and then charged folks extensive fees to remain in the U.S. So then, Alex, how did the challenge come about? Yeah, the question presented to the court was whether the federal criminal prohibition against encouraging unlawful immigration for commercial gain was unconstitutional on the basis of being overbroad per the First Amendment. So what that means is the overbroad doctrine is aimed to keep laws off of our books that prohibit a substantial amount of protected speech with the aim to avoid chilling constitutionally protected speech. So on June 23rd, the Supreme Court held that since the law only forbids the intentional solicitation of certain unlawful acts, that it's not unconstitutionally overbroad. And Alex, this wasn't the only U.S. Supreme Court decision of note. Additionally, the Supreme Court rejected Texas and Louisiana's attempt to block the Biden administration's immigration enforcement priority guidelines. Can you walk us through the implications from this ruling? Yes. On June 23rd, the Supreme Court ruled that the states did not have the authority to bring a lawsuit to force an increase in arrests, detentions, or deportations. The background of this case is that the Biden administration's guidelines instruct immigration enforcement agents to focus on arresting recent arrivals and those who pose public safety threats rather than those undocumented immigrants who've lived in this country for years. The states, Texas and Louisiana, argued that the Department of Homeland Security should arrest and remove all undocumented immigrants without any prioritization at all. 
So in response to this, the court referred to a longstanding precedent that there's particular people who can bring lawsuits to the court. And in this case, a citizen cannot sue to challenge an authority unless that citizen was prosecuted or threatened directly. Based on this, the court ruled that the states weren't threatened with prosecution and therefore did not have the right to challenge in court. So the court didn't determine whether the immigration guidelines themselves were lawful or not, rather that the states simply didn't have the standing to sue. And I'm sure our immigration nerds listening are thinking this actually doesn't seem like an immigration decision. It's more of us going behind the immigration headline. Yes, you're right. It's really not about Hansen's behavior or whether he was convicted of what he did or didn't do. It's way more about whether the, the challenge for the First Amendment uh, being overbroad on the books was or was not accurate. So again, Alex, it seems a great immigration headline, but when we dig behind that, it's not a change to immigration regulation or policy. That's right. The courts didn't have any comment on whether the prioritization of Biden's administration guidelines were correct or not, simply that Texas and Louisiana are not aggrieved parties, and so they can't sue. These are certainly some big decisions from the Supreme Court. But looking further abroad, previously we had our Aussie immigration nerd Martin Russell on the podcast to discuss immigration reform efforts in Australia. Alex, what is the update coming out of Australia today? So earlier this year, the Australian government announced several immigration reform efforts, with many of those changes to go into effect on Saturday, July 1st. So I'll provide a quick summary of those changes. So first, the Australian government will increase visa fees, ranging from 6 to 40%. Second, the temporary skilled migration income threshold will increase from $53,900 to $70,000. Third, Australian sponsor employers of UK citizens and permanent residents applying for the temporary skills shortage, TSS, subclass 482, will no longer be required to meet labor market testing requirements. Fourth, the working holiday maker six-month limitation extension ended on June 30th. Awesome. And I think if you would like some more in-depth knowledge on some of these announcements, check out the episode with our Aussie immigration nerd, Martin Russell. Thank you for being our news nerd-in-chief, Alex. Now for a conversation about the strategy and practice behind Canada's most recent immigration moves. Here to provide the details are two of Ericsson's top nerds on the subject. Joining us from the EIG office in Virginia is Justin Storch, Associate Attorney in our international practice. And joining us from Ontario, Canada is Jesse Root, EIG International Practice Project Manager. Justin and Jesse, welcome to Immigration Nerds. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Really happy to be here. Perfect. So let's get right to it. On Tuesday, June 27th, the IRCC announced new immigration programs and improvements to attract highly skilled workers to Canada. Justin, can you tell us at a high level what these programs and improvements are? On Tuesday, January 27th, the Canadian government announced enhancements to the country's visa options aimed at attracting tech talent to Canada. And this can be broadly split into four pillars, developing a new innovation stream under the International Mobility Program to attract highly talented individuals, promoting Canada as a destination for digital nomads, improving labor mobility in North America by creating a streamlined work permit for H-1B specialty occupation visa holders in the U.S. to apply to and come to Canada, 
and to improve existing programs that cater to workers in high skill tech occupations. While the, all four of those pillars are important and they're all broadly speaking good news, the one that we really want to concentrate on today is the third pillar, which is about H-1B visa holders, because this is going to be launched very quickly on July 16th of 2023. And specifically, existing H-1B visa holders and their immediate family members will be able to apply for open work permits on that date to work in Canada for up to three years. This will be capped at 10,000 visas for primary visa holders. Their dependents do not count against that cap. Uh, we do expect that there's going to be high demand for this program and that the cap could be met very quickly, possibly within a matter of hours on July 16th. This announcement, particularly this streamlined work permit for H-1B visa holders, is breaking news. Like This is a surprising immigration development. Can we provide any insight as to how Canada arrived at this decision or at this announcement? I think what Canada is trying to do is take advantage of a situation in the U.S. where layoffs are happening at a higher rate and they want to attract these workers to come to Canada to support what they're calling, at least, is a growing tech industry here. I think that the workers in the U.S. are highly skilled, highly educated. They speak the language and they have North American work experience with some of the top companies in the world. And this is the perfect economic immigrant that Canada is looking for. And I think that's really where Canada is coming from on, on this question. And Jesse, I think you hit at a very important point. This announcement comes at a pivotal time for many H-1B visa holders in the U.S., many who were impacted by the layoffs that you mentioned or who have concerns over their job security in the U.S. EIG, even throughout Immigration Nerd's special alert on compelling circumstances, EAD recently discussed viable options for impacted employees. Could this program be an additional avenue for termed H-1B employees in the U.S.? You know, as Jesse mentioned, the timing's rather interesting as many companies have had recent layoffs in the U.S. as well as in Canada. So it's unclear whether the labor demand is there in Canada right now either. Uh, so that's one of the interesting things about this. One thing I would emphasize is that these work permits are open work permits. So the requirement is that the applicants have an existing valid H-1B visa in the United States. It does not require them to have a job offer in Canada. So since it's a self-sponsored application, this means an employee could speculatively apply for one of these work permits in hope of eventually obtaining a job in Canada. Um, this could be with our current company, where they're currently working on an H-1B in the United States, or it could be for a completely different company. And since it's valid for three years, um, I would not be at all surprised to see employees applying for the permit now and using it as a selling point to Canadian employers, essentially like, hey, I have applied for and I've received this open work permit. There's only 10,000 of us in Canada that have these work permits, and you as a company don't have to spend any money on me. You don't have to wait months and months for me to get a work permit. You can hire me today. I think that one of the benefits of this for H-1B holders in the U.S. is that it's a ticket to a pretty clear pathway towards permanent residence in Canada. I think there's a space for like the disillusioned H-1B holder who's not really happy with the fact that it's going to take them years and years and years to get permanent status in the United States. So I think that as a prospective measure as well, this could really be used as a long-term planning tool for these workers to plan for permanent residence in North America, uh, in particular in Canada. 
And I like that you raised that, Jesse. The IRCC stated in their announcement that they are embracing Canada's emerging role as a leader in global tech talent recruitment and attraction to ensure Canada is not only filing in-demand jobs today, but also attracting the skills and business talent to create the jobs of tomorrow. And we've been lucky enough to previously discuss this concept on the podcast with Rory Spillane, where it seems that while Canada may be able to attract top talent, can Canada be able to retain it? And the particular type of immigrant that they're attracting with regards to H-1B, the pathway to a green card or permanent residency in Canada is a huge benefit. Jesse, are you able to explain a little bit more about what that process looks like for those who would potentially get this 10,000 visa and end up in Canada? Yeah. So I think what it looks like is is a pretty clear pathway through an express entry stream called the Canadian Experience class. It's a class that requires one year of full-time work experience in Canada in a skilled occupation. These people as open work permit holders are going to be able to come into Canada, find a skilled job, whether or not it's in tech, right? And that's something I also think is important to note here is like, they don't necessarily need to be working at Amazon or these big companies to get this skilled work experience that's going to get them permanent residence in Canada. As I mentioned before, they're highly educated. They'll score well on an English exam. And these are things that get a lot of points in the express entry system. And those types of profiles are the people who are seeing right now today getting invitations to apply for permanent residence or express entry. And that whole process is taking under two years time. So you come in, you get your one year work experience, you apply within six months, you're a permanent resident of Canada. And that that time frame in comparison to what some H-1B visa holders are experiencing particularly if they are from a backlog country, so specifically looking at China and India, two years in comparison to potentially 10 plus years, that is a sizable benefit to, you know, pursuing a permanent residency in Canada, potentially through this option for H-1B visa holders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can speak a little to that. I mean, having worked, I have a little bit of experience on the Canadian side of immigration, a little bit of experience on the US side of immigration, and I've worked on permanent residency processes in both countries. Quite frankly, the permanent residency process in Canada is much easier in addition to basically this being a pathway for tech workers to get the experience they need to qualify for PR in Canada. The process itself really only takes about a year typically, especially if you're a national from India or from China where you're in a significant backlog in the United States. You're probably looking at more like a 10-year process. It's a lot more involvement from the company. Those of our listeners who've dealt with the PERM process know how exhausting and expensive that process can be and how clicking the wrong box somewhere can kind of doom a PERM. So, you know, you, you generally aren't looking at those kind of issues and applying for PR in Canada. So if an employee's ultimate goal is to get PR in one country or the other, it's a much quicker process in Canada. And so knowing that beyond simply having this open work visa that is going to bring you into Canada, there is the benefit of an easier pathway to permanent residency. I think it's important to look at this 10,000 visa cap. So the measure will remain in effect for either one year or until the IRCC receives 10,000 applications. We know having worked on the US side that there is a huge demand for H-1B visas. Even if we look at the recent H-1B cap lottery, 
the number of applications for that limited amount of visas and the fact that there is a government-mandated 85,000 new H-1B visas coming each year, a cap of 10,000 seems minuscule in comparison. Do we think this number is sufficient uh, or I guess will it achieve the purpose behind this program? About two years ago there in Canada, there was a TR to PR pathway that opened up for people to apply for permanent residence. It was a capped program like this one, but the cap was 90,000. And what we saw with that was within a couple of days, those 90,000 spaces were full. So especially with the big demand we're hearing about, about people who were not eligible in the U.S. for the H-1B, I think that at the end of the day, 10,000 is going to be filled within, within potentially hours. Um, furthermore, in terms of the actual goals of the program, again, I, I don't have a sense that Canada has significant job openings in the high-skilled tech space, so I don't really get that play here, apart from the fact that these people will most likely eventually become permanent residents very quickly and contribute to society in other ways. And that's some really important context. Thanks so much for raising that for us, Jesse. I guess I'll turn to you, Justin, as someone who has worked in both Canada and the US, kind of understanding the context that Jesse just gave us. Who do you see as the beneficiaries of this announcement then? So this is a question I've been thinking a lot about, Lauren. I think the real beneficiary here is for the employees who are able to apply for these spots. Even, you know, as Jesse mentioned, the jobs might not be there immediately, but if they can get this open work permit and three years is a long time, especially in economic terms, we could be in another hiring boom in three years and they have this quick pathway to, to get a job in Canada now. These are open work permits, so the employees will not be relying on employers to file these applications. It'll be up to the companies to decide what kind of support they want to provide in terms of helping employees with these applications or for covering costs. The risks are probably similar to you know what you look at with a PR process where a company might invest in a form of open work authorization like this. And as soon as they get the open work authorization, the employee can leave the company. So there's there's some risk in that term as well. There are some benefits to employers, but remember that there are already other existing pathways to hire employees on company-sponsored work permits like ICT and GTS LMIA work permits. For those GTS LMIA work permits, I would note that you have to have a labor market benefit plan to apply for those work permits. Not every company has that. So if you're a company that doesn't have that, this could be an option for you to hire people immediately and not wait the one year that's required for an ICT work permit. Additionally, even if you do have an LMBP, a labor market benefit plan, you might not want to use one of your spots that's allocated to you under that LMBP for to file an LMIA-based work permit. So there might be benefit even to those companies and even for ICTs where there are thresholds you have to meet in terms of specialized knowledge and other things. Um, and you you know, it's 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 less might be less hassle to to go for an open work permit if these spots are still available for you at the time you're looking to apply. And I think that's an interesting part of the announcement. You know, it has come out, it's provided you breaking news that there is this option for individuals who have or hold an H-1B visa in the U.S. But that's really all we know. There's still a lot to be seen and a lot to understand about this particular visa option. 
I guess, Jesse, being in Canada and having your, you know, you're on the pulse of these announcements, are we expecting further guidance and information to come from the Canadian government in regards to applying for these, knowing that the deadline or I guess the opening for these is July 16th, which is right around the corner? Yeah, there are mixed reviews on, I will say, about Canadian immigration is that they, and maybe that's immigration everywhere, but people make these announcements uh, that are really big and sound really great. And then maybe even the same day that the program is launched is when we're getting the details about the specific eligibility criteria and required supporting documents, right? So long story short, I think, yeah, we we should expect something like that. The question is when, and and unfortunately, we don't have uh, good answers for that right now. And based on the past, you know, I've seen it come out the same day as the program's launched. So people really need to be prepared um, with all their ducks in a row, especially because we do anticipate the cap to be reached probably pretty quickly. So I know that the announcement included other new programs and improvements that are looking to come through you know, throughout the rest of the year. Is there anything else that we should be aware of now regarding this announcement from Canada? Yeah, so just one more quick word on the H-1B stuff before we move on. Um, If I was a U.S. employer um, seeing this announcement, I would be encouraging um, my workers to apply for these spaces. Uh, Yeah, it's an open work permit, but at the end of the day, it's also going to be a lot easier for them and the employee, I think, to replace international mobility programs like the ICT and NAFTA options by getting these open work permits for the employees. So that's one thing that I would encourage employers to do who are seeing this announcement uh, and realizing that it might be helpful to them and their their business operations between the two countries. In terms of the other things, I think the best uh, news that I can say is kind of stay tuned. I think the innovation stream is going to be very interesting about occupation-specific or employer-specific work permits for up to five years. This is almost certainly sufficient to get permanent residence in Canada. There's no cap on this program that we've seen so far. So it could be a very attractive option for people who are looking to make Canada home who are highly skilled workers. There's some interesting stuff around the digital nomad items of the announcement. And I think that while visa requirements don't look like they're going to be changing for people coming into Canada to work, what is significant, I think, is that if these employees get job offers inside of Canada, they're going to be able to switch to work permits fairly quickly and easily. So I can see a scenario where an employer sends their employee with a visa to Canada, they work there for the foreign company, when a position opens up in that Canadian office, they can hire that person. So I think there are a lot of applications to these other elements of the announcement that could be really exciting for people. And definitely a stay tuned moment for those. We know with the innovation stream, they're hoping that by the end of 2023, there'll be further information with the other improvements not having a set deadline. I guess throwing it to you, Justin, are there any other things that we should be aware of now from your perspective? Sure. So one other group that I neglected to mention earlier that's going to benefit from the open work permits is people looking to work in a remote location in Canada. Right now, GTS and ICT work permits are basically tied to a physical work location. Generally, what we advise 
is even if an employee is working partially remotely or even fully remotely, they need to be within commuting distance of an office for the employing entity in Canada in order to, to qualify for that work permit and to satisfy the requirements. So what this does is it's an open work permit, meaning this person can work basically anywhere in Canada. So for instance, if you're a company that has one office in Canada and it's located in Toronto, but you have an employee that wants to work remotely for, for instance, let's say Winnipeg, that employee could work from Winnipeg on this open work permit for your company. So that's another thing to keep in mind. The other group that I quickly want to touch on is people that are currently on H-1Bs in the United States who might be reaching their their six-year max out date on an H-1B and they haven't started a perm process or it isn't far enough along that they're going to be able to extend beyond six years on an H-1B in the United States. This could be a quick option to for that person to, to relocate to Canada with a plan of eventually returning to the United States. So I wanted to mention those groups. As far as the other pillars, I think just Jesse covered them well. I think really we're kind of in a holding pattern on those. We don't have a lot of information. We're probably going to get out later this year, possibly early 2024 on those pieces of the program. So I think probably makes sense to come back here, touch base on on those programs later in the year. And I think that this breaking news of announcement out of Canada is creating waves for Canadian immigration. But I also think it'll be very interesting to see if there is a U.S. response. So Justin Storch, Associate Attorney in the International Practice at Ericsson Immigration Group, and Jesse Root, our EIG International Practice Project Manager. Thank you both for joining us on the Immigration Nerds podcast. Thank you for having us. Wow, immigration nerds, that was a lot to take in. And I think, Alex, are you still hanging around? I'm still here. Alex, what do you think about this immigration headline? So this is fascinating to me because at the very base level, I see this as Canada taking advantage of the U.S.'s overly strict immigration policies. In other words, because the U.S. is not expanding the number of H-1B visas available because folks are running out of options here, Canada is essentially saying, hey, guys, A, come over here. Look what we have. Try us out here. And I think that the rest of the world is likely to follow suit. Well, especially because, as we discussed at the top of the show, Australia is making waves in the immigration policy. Canada is now taking a very pointed attack on immigration in regards to their neighbors. It will be interesting to see what other countries decide to do with their immigration policies, specifically in reference to the U.S., You're absolutely right. I mean, it it is a fight over talent and we're just going to have to see what happens for the rest of the world. Well, again, Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the Immigration Nerds podcast. Happy to be here. And thank you to all you nerds out there listening. You can track everything going on at Ericsson Immigration Group on our website, eiglaw.com. And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe and share and meet us right back here for another new episode of Immigration Nerds.